Um, have you ever in your life showed up to church and just thought to yourself, why am I here? Why do I even come here? Um, I know uh, when I was a kid, you know, one of the things that I was really thankful for was that uh, my mom took us to church every single week. So in my family, we were told that church and functioning in the body of Christ was important. But that was, I would say, on a scale of 1 to 10, like that was about a value too. Um, but the thing that made up the rest of that value is that we actually lived that out. Like we never miss church. My mom uh, had a C-section on like Tuesday or Wednesday, and on Sunday morning we were sitting in church in the front row. And uh, that was in the days when they often didn't even let people, nowadays you're having a C-section, they send you home the next day, but back then people stayed in the hospital. But my mom was committed. Uh, we did sports, like I was into gymnastics, and one of the things about gymnastics is um, all of the competitions are on Sunday. And so I practiced and all the stuff, but often didn't go to the competitions. And it was this huge modification in our family where it was like, okay, they only do this on Sunday. And so I actually did miss a few Sundays, but it was memorable to me that for that sport, I was allowed to miss church on Sunday. And, and that was just like, uh, when I look back at my life, um, I was not a Christian growing up. I mean, I heard the gospel and I knew all those things. But as I look back at my family and my upbringing, uh, and if I was to make a list of what are the things in my life that I am most thankful for, that was one of the biggest contributions that was made in my life um, as, a, as a kid growing up. And uh, when I was in church, I would sit in the front row and I just got to tell you, it was torture. Man, I hated being there. Uh, I did not want to go to youth group. You know, youth group was terrible. Um, I remember going to youth group and kids were so mean that I just thought, I never want to come back here. And, um, and I would sit in the front row and the guy would be preaching and I would just think, oh my goodness, I would look at the floor and I would think, is there any way I could crawl under one of the rows of these seats and just lay down on the floor and sleep? And I thought, I, I don't think I could get under the seat without being noticed by everybody. So I sat there, you know, just trying to struggle through Sunday morning. Um, one of the things I thought about was how difficult and boring church can be for non-Christians. You, know, you think about uh, what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says that the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit. And I just think about, you know, if you took me to some class that was being delivered in Chinese and made me sit there for two hours, man, that would be torture. But one of the cool things about church, especially when you're a Christian, is that the Holy Spirit speaks through me. I am not the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying that. But the Holy Spirit speaks through me. It's the, the gift of the Holy Spirit within me. And um, if you're a Christian, you actually have the Holy Spirit within yourself that receives what's being delivered. So it's like the Holy Spirit is throwing the pass and the Holy Spirit is actually also catching it. That's kind of a good deal. Um, but I, I used to just think about that, man, how uh, have you, uh, but in reality, one of the things I also used to tell my kids is I would say um, in our family, and this is true in church, we don't say the things we're supposed to say. Do you know what everybody is supposed to say? Oh, I love church. It encourages me. That's what you're supposed to say. 
you're a Christian, you show up to church and say, I hate church, man. People look down on you for that. Uh, they shouldn't, but that could happen. Uh, or kids uh, reading the Bible. Man, Christians love reading the Bible. You know what kids are never supposed to say, Christian kids? They're not supposed to say, actually, if I had a choice between watching TV and playing video games or reading the Bible, man, I would pick TV. I would pick video games. I would pick anything over reading the Bible. But, but we teach people, hey, if you're a Christian, you're going to love God's Word. And one of the things that we need to do in Christianity, and I think in our own lives, is we actually need to tell the truth about things. And the truth is that sometimes we show up to church and we wish we weren't there. Sometimes we, on the, at the end of the day on Sunday, when we go home, we think, what the heck did I do? Was that a good use of my time? I mean, I don't know about you, but I have felt that way in my life often. And I want to think about that. Um, and I remember the time when I was in high school, and finally, uh, man, there was such, such battles in my house. Man, we would fight every single day about, every Sunday about going to church because I didn't want to go and my mom was going to make me go. And when I was 16 years old, we had this huge fight on the way to church. And my mom finally just said, all right, I am not going to make you go anymore. And so I just sat home. I didn't go to church. Now, I was a non-Christian at the time, and uh, I, just, I just quit going to church. And, and actually, initially, it was kind of fun to not be there on Sunday morning. Um, but one of the things that was amazing is I started noticing these huge changes in my life that resulted from me not being in church, a place I hated, a place I felt I was getting nothing from. And the other element of that, I didn't even have the Holy Spirit in my life. So it was like church was way less effective than it would have been had I been a Christian. But I started noticing that difference in my life and actually was feeling like, I think I was better off when I went to church every week. Man, my life was getting more and more sinful. There were more and more bad things happening in my life. Um, I've had friends over the years. In fact, I had a very good friend who was a pastor, a mentor, somebody that I really looked up to. And uh, he went through some really hard things in church. He ended up leaving two different churches under difficult circumstances. And in a sense, he and his family really felt wounded by the church. And uh, he quit going to church. And I remember going and visiting him and just saying, you know, I don't know what I would say to you about the fact that you don't go to church. It didn't matter which church he went to. He'd say, well, this preacher doesn't preach right. And this guy doesn't have good theology. And this church doesn't do this. Like he was an expert and he could point all the things wrong with every church he went to. And he just didn't go. And I remember saying to him, you know, I, I want to encourage you to do the right thing in this area of your life, but what's weird is everything I know about church, I learned from you. So the things I would tell you are things that you told me. And um, just watching this individual's life go down the tubes, disaster in every area of his life. And the good news is he has come back to the Lord and he now is plugged in back to church. Like, it was a great story of what happened. But it was a disaster for him when he stepped out of church. And um, the reason I'm talking about this is because understanding spiritual gifts correctly help you understand the importance of the church. I think COVID 
COVID was like a perfect opportunity to display all the wrong theology and all the misunderstandings about what the Bible says about spiritual gifts and functioning and being a part of the body of Christ. And, and it was kind of weird because you could just assume that everybody knows the basics, but you want to know what we figured out during COVID? People do not understand the ba basics. I cannot tell you how many articles that I read written by spiritual leaders, written, written by denominational leaders that says this is the new way of church. And you can do church online just like you can do church in person. And you want to know something? That If you think that, it means you do not understand the body of Christ you do not understand spiritual gifts. You do not understand the significance of showing up here on Sunday morning and interacting during the week. So that's kind of, we're going to just, I'm just telling you, we're going to read what Paul wrote. And at the end of reading what Paul wrote, um, there will be no doubt in your mind. If you read this and you think about what he is saying in our verses this morning, you will leave understanding why you have to be in church every Sunday, why you have to be plugged in in the body of Christ. If what Paul says is true, which Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit, meaning that what he says here, God is saying, so if what God is saying is true, um, church is significant and not functioning in the body of Christ is an utter disaster. And I will say this. One of the things that surprises me are people who look at people who don't go to church and they go, oh, they're a Christian. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Uh, have you ever heard that? Have you ever known anybody who said something like that? And I just think, okay. <laughs> so if you've heard that, if you've ever said that, then you need to have a significant reorientation in your life. Um, what, uh, as a parent, one of the greatest things that you do as a parent, it is not the only great thing you do as a parent, but one of the most significant things you do as a parent is you teach your kids to function in the church, in the body of Christ. And I am not just saying to show up and sit in a chair and then go home. First of all, that would be really awesome compared to not showing up. But that's actually not what we're doing. We're teaching, we would teach our kids to show up and to function and to use their gifts and have other people use their gifts on them. Um, you can be there to care for your kids in a moment. But you teach your kids to be spiritually healthy and understand the church for what it is. You take care of them spiritually for the rest of your life, their life. One day when you are dead and gone, them functioning and showing up in church and functioning will bless them in ways that you could never bless them because you're not there. So one of the things I think about with my kids, <laughs> one of them moved to North Carolina, another one moved to Virginia. And you know what? That would be a terrible disaster if they didn't understand the church and they didn't get plugged in and they weren't surrounded by people. I'm not there to look at their life and say, hey, that doesn't look like a good choice. I am not there to be a help and an encouragement as they go through things in their life. But you want to know who is the pastor of the church they go to? 
all of their Christian friends, all the people that are plugged into their life. So anyway, that's a lot of things to say about the importance of the church. Um, when I went to college, I'm a bad student in high school. When I went to college, um, I graduated from high school with a 2.0 GPA. And uh, that was because that's what I had to do to stay eligible to wrestle. And I hated school. I saw no value in it. And uh, when I went to apply for college, they said, hey, what's your GPA? I said, it's 2.0. And they said, no, actually, it's 1.7. And I'm like, how do you get that 1.7? And they said, auto shop doesn't count, and neither does metal shop. And uh, so, but you know what my commitment was in college? My commitment in college was I'm going to go to class every day. You know, I didn't do that in high school. <laughs> I skipped my English class for three months in high school. But um, I decided in college that I was going to go to class every day. My other commitment in college is I'm going to turn in every single assignment. With no education, I mean, terrible educational background, I graduated from college with a 3.0 just because I showed up and I turned everything in. And uh, that's, as believers, we need to make a commitment to show up and to turn everything in. So let's, uh, let's read through this stuff and see what God has to tell us about these things. So we're going to see three important things today. The first thing is that genuine salvation initiates the powerful bestowing of spiritual gifts. God does a supernatural miracle in the life of every single person who becomes a Christian, and he gives you a gift. The second thing is that every Christian is in indispensable to the body of Christ. You know, one of the things we think about in life is we have this, this terrible perspective. We're so self-centered. We're so selfish, and, and we approach church. One of the things that's wrong with church is we show up to church and say, what's in it for me? Did I like the music? Did this guy do the thing I wanted to do? Did I like the sermon? Did I feel entertained? And that's the problem is we don't understand that, that one of the big things about church is actually not just what you get. One of the major things about church is that you are there to provide something. And the Bible tells us in this passage that every Christian is indispensable to the church. So you need to think about the fact that this place can't function without you. And uh, so that's, that's number two. And here's a third thing, and that's that the body of Christ is in, indispensable to every Christian. You can't function not having what happens to you when you show up in the body of Christ. So let's read this. Uh, 1 Corinthians, if you have your Bibles, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Start in verse 1. I'm, I'm going to just kind of skip through verse 1 through 11, and then we'll read verse 12 through 25, which is our passage today. But 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 just says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. So Paul's saying, all the stuff I just told you, Paul's saying you need to know that. You need to understand that. Don't be, un and don't be uninformed about that. And then in verse 4, he says there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Your spiritual gift is not for you. It is for the body of Christ, which is why when you're not here, the body of Christ suffers. 
Uh, Verse 11, all of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. You have supernatural power if you're a Christian. And that has been given to you by God Himself. And so many people undervalue what God has given you to provide and to function and to use in the body of Christ. And everything we do, we do for God's glory and through His power. Now, our passage for today, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. So that's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That is actually, by the way, what happens to every person at the moment they are saved. They are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And it goes on in verse 14, this is, you need to think rightly about yourself. That's what the Bible says about you. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. For if the, body, if the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And so uh, God supernaturally put you in the church and gave you a gift, and the church needs you just like our body needs our body parts. Um, You need to think rightly also about other people. This is what it says here in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. For our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And then I want to read verse 25, and it says this is, it goes on and it says this, that there be no division in the body, but that the members have the same care for one another. And, and that's, he's going to close off chapter 12 talking about how we love each other, how we care for each other. Then he's going to go into chapter 13. He's going to talk about love and how significant love is in the body of Christ and in the use of spiritual gifts. And then in chapter 14, he's going to sp- explain everything that went wrong with the exercise of spiritual gifts in the Corinthian church. And it's because they didn't pay attention to these things he was teaching. So let's just jump into this first one. Genuine salvation initiates the, um, uh, initiates the power, powerful bestowing of spiritual gifts. 
For there's one body, and it has many members, and all of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit you were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and were all made to drink of one spiritual drink. So what he's saying is Paul is saying this happens the moment you become a Christian. And by the way, that is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember John the Baptist? He's baptizing people, and he says, hey, I'm baptizing you uh, for repentance, but one is coming who is mightier than I. I'm not fit to untie his sandals. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. Jesus baptizes us, immerses us in the Holy Spirit. Peter says, baptism now saves you. It is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that actually is the, the item that saves you. And then Peter goes on and he says, not the removal of dirt from the flesh. What, how do you remove dirt from your flesh? You use water, right? You wash yourself. So Peter says, baptism saves you, not water baptism, but an appeal to God for a good conscience. Do you know where that comes from? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever read Romans chapter 6? All of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit baptizes you, and in a sense, you die to yourself. That's Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You die to the old self. And that's, that's the image of being dunked down into water is death to the old life. And then when God raises you up out of the water, Romans chapter 6 says, we've been raised to newness of life. That's the Holy Spirit coming into you, making you alive and giving you a new life. Amen. Do you know why in the New Testament they said repent and be baptized? Because when you wanted to become a Christian, you would believe in Jesus. You would repent from your sins. And when you became a Christian, you were instantly baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then people in the New Testament would go immediately, instantly be water baptized as a sign of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's why, by the way, lots of people think you have to be baptized in water to be saved. No, you have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be saved. Romans tells us if you don't have the Holy Spirit then you don't have Christ. You are not a Christian. There are Protestant denominations that say you can become a Christian, and then later you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's when you get the power to live this Christian life. That's wrong. Um, there, there are people who say, and here's how you know. You have the Holy Spirit. You speak in tongues. That is 100% wrong, which well, that's in... 1 Corinthians 14, so I won't preach that yet. But there are so many doctrines about the Holy Spirit that we could just say, that's 100% wrong. Like, people speak in tongues to edify themselves. Wrong. The gift of the Holy Spirit is given for the common good. But we'll get to all that stuff later. Um, the Bible right now is just saying that Man, when you become a Christian, you become a gift. Did you know you are a gift as a person to a church? And then God gives you a gift of the Holy Spirit to use as you function in the church. Now, when you think about this body metaphor, um, he just says we're one body. What a, what a powerful thing that he says. He says we're all members of the body of Christ 
by one, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free. You know, the baptism of the Holy Spirit means you are one body. Now, I just got to tell you that for Christians, racism is impossible if you think and live rightly. It's impossible. Um, you could look at any solution to the problem of, of race that we have. None of them work. Like you look at our culture, all the political plans to solve race problems, and you could say there's no slave or free, to solve class problems. There is no solution to race problems or class pro problems apart from Christ. But in Christ, all of those things are solved. So when you meet people that are having all these difficulties, what they need is not any of the things that our political you know, parties have to offer. They need salvation. That is the solution to these problems. Now, we should know just from reading the Bible that our humanity unites us, right? Everybody came from Adam and Eve. Like two people had kids. And that's all of us. So how confusing is it that we're not different. How can one race be better than another? We all came from Adam. And then God, God again in Genesis, he narrowed the family tree again because he put Noah and his sons in a boat and killed everyone else. So we all come back from Noah. So racism is impossible for a person who is a Christian who recognizes that it doesn't matter. By the way, race, that's a dumb way to even say that. Because we are the human race. But what I would say is this, that when you recognize that every single person who's a Christian is a part of the same body, how, can you, how could you have any of the views of racism? That's like impossible. How could you view people differently because of their social class? When you understand what God says, this is a crazy thing about the New Testament. Is they talk about slavery in the New Testament, which is different than slavery that we think of. But I do want to say this. Um, the way slavery worked in the church is you could be somebody's slave in life. In a sense, their servant, their indentured servant. And then when you showed up at church on Sunday morning, the slave was the elder. And the slave owner was the church member. So on Sunday morning, the slave was in charge of the church member. And I would say to a greater degree, the, the, the slave was in spiritual authority over the, the, his, the person who, in a sense, quote, owned him. And so when you think about all those things, like that whole issue is a big, huge issue, which I won't get into today. But I will just say this, that viewing people's value based on social class is impossible if you are a Christian who thinks rightly about what God says. Um, we could get into gender, which we won't, but I will just say this, that Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, you're all one in Christ. And then Peter, when he's talking about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands living to their with their wives in an understanding way, goes on to say, because your wife is a fellow heir of the grace of life. And so the, the whole idea of God's design for men and women doesn't change because of this. But before Christ, we all have equal value, equal worth, and an equal purpose. And then the other thing I would say about this is, 
If we're the body, who's the head? And I want to just read a verse for you about, to you about that. Um, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Who are we talking about? Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body. Do you know why spiritual gifts and understanding your place in the body of Christ bring unity? It's because you realize that Jesus is the head. You realize that it is the purpose of Jesus, that, that we all give Jesus first place in everything. And that includes any conflicts, anything you don't like with somebody, how you may view somebody else, how somebody else may view you, all comes second to glorifying God in everything that we do, lifting up Jesus Christ and making him first. And when that's true in marriages, marriages are the way they should be. When that is true in business relationships, business relationships are what they should be. When that is true in friendships, then friendships are what they are supposed to be. When Christ is preeminent in everything, and that's one of the things you see in all of this. Spiritual gifts should lead to unity. But in the, in the Corinthian church, they fought about spiritual gifts. It brought all kinds of conflict. And this is no surprise, right? Satan knows how beneficial it is. And it is Satan's purpose to disrupt it and to get people off track. And he uses jealousy. He uses selfishness. He uses pride. He uses anger. He uses a lack of forgiveness to accomplish those things. By the way, everything I just said, you can find a verse after that attribute that says don't do this or Satan will mani- or, or or you'll give Satan power in your life. Like for example, anger, do not let the sun go down in your anger and give the devil an opportunity. Just go through the Bible and find those specific sin qualities I just mentioned and right afterwards is Satan. That's how that's what Satan does. That's Satan's plan for your life is that you would do those things. Now, I think about what's sad is when the body does not function the way God says it's supposed to function. Remember I brought my little kids home from the hospital? And little babies are cool. They have the cutest little feet. We used to like kissing them. It would make our kids laugh. Sometimes it would make them cry. Um, and, uh, but we just love snuggling and kissing our kids and looking at all their body parts and just thinking how precious those pretty little hands. They were so neat, but often, Little baby's hands don't know how to function yet. Uh, Kids haven't learned to use their body. And so you want to know what little kids do with their hands if they're left left unattended? What do they do? Huh? Yeah, they poke their face. They poke their eyes. They scratch their face. All of us who have had little babies, we put, like, there's, they make clothes that cover the fingers and the nails. We keep their nails trimmed. We put the kids' arms in blankets and we wrap them super tight because otherwise the arms just kind of flail and they scratch themselves. And, you know, little kids, like, they'll scratch their face and then cry. It's like, you did that to yourself. And often, that's like the body of Christ. Sometimes we have immature young believers who don't know how to live and function and they hurt other people and they hurt themselves. Um, There are all kinds of diseases where the nervous system is destroyed and the body does, the brain doesn't control the body. You know, I just gotta tell you, it's like, man, I look out at a lot of churches and I just, man, I could throw all kinds of different labels on this church. It's like some person who has this kind of disability. 
Like the whole church, just nothing. Christ is not ruling and guiding and directing this church. And so that's tragic when that happens. And it's important that we understand spiritual gifts. Now, by the way, this is if you are in Christ. Um, If you're not a Christian, you know, the Bible actually talks about Satan intentionally planting people in the church to create problems. They are held captive by him to do his will. You read Acts chapter 20, and it actually says it's sometimes elders in the church. Um, Paul says to the elders in Ephesus, you got to look out for your Selves, because from among you, from among yourselves, are going to arise perverse people. Have we ever seen elders go off the rail? People who are spiritual leaders, pastors, who all of a sudden start doing things that are destructive and harmful to the body of Christ? Well, Paul said that was going to happen. Have we ever seen a person in the church do that? Well, Paul said that was going to happen. It's because Satan plants secret agents in the church to do his will. And uh, Paul tells Timothy, you got to be gracious and kind and patient with people like that. Because those people causing problems are not your enemy. Those are people who, if you respond rightly, maybe God will save them. That's actually what Paul tells Timothy. And uh, the other, so first you got to be a Christian, <laughs> you're not a gift, you're a potential pitfall. Um, the second thing is if you function properly, you want to know how to function properly in church? Number one, you got to be present. Now this should be obvious, because Paul says, don't forsake the assembling together as the habit of some, if Paul wrote Hebrews, or if it wasn't Paul who wrote it, then somebody else said that. So it's a direct command, don't not come to church. Like that should be enough. Is just that God tells you to do it, but it's helpful when you actually understand. Now, the second thing is that you are properly purposeful. And that means that you understand that your purpose is to glorify Christ and that when you actually start living out those things that you're supposed to do. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom and singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God, right? So we read the Bible, we live that out in the body of Christ. Wisdom is not me coming up with my own stuff and it's not you coming up with your own stuff. Wisdom is that you read the Bible, you realize what God said, and you are teaching and encouraging and admonishing each other. You know, it's not the leader's job just to address sin. You want to know whose job it is to address sin in the church? Everybody's. You know what so many people do? They sit around, they watch people walking off the cliff of sin and headed toward total destruction, and they think to themselves, I just want to be nice and smile. And I'm not really going to say anything to them because they probably get mad. You know, God's intention is that every faithful Christian would lovingly and, and, and gently confront that person. Say, hey, what you're doing is sinful. Hey, what you're doing is wrong. Hey, tell me about this. How do you reconcile this attitude and this behavior with what God says? By the time a pastor or elder finds out about somebody in sin and goes to talk to them, they, it should be like the 25th conversation they've had. That, that all of their friends 
have already talked to them. By the way, it's how you know if you're someone's friend, is that you care enough about them to care about their spiritual well-being. Okay, so I want to talk about you for a second. Do you think rightly about yourself? Do you realize that you are indispensable to the body of Christ? The Bible says this, for the body does not, verse 14, consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. When you reject showing up and being a part of a church family, you are rejecting something God has done. God puts you in this church family. Acts chapter 17, Paul's preaching the gospel, and he tells the unbelievers, God picked how long you would live, like he's numbered your days, and he's also determined the boundaries of your habitation. God decided where you live. You know, when, you're, when you move into a town, that's not an accident. God puts you there. When you're visiting churches and then you say, okay, I'm going to go to this church, that's not an accident. You made that decision, but God puts you there. And that's actually one of the things we need to recognize. When you rebel against that, you are rebelling against God. Okay, um, a person can be in a healthy Christian and not go to church. Wrong. If you don't go to church, you disobey what God has specifically said. Don't forsake the assembling together. If you don't go to church, you disrespect God's purpose, that he puts you somewhere and you go, nope, not going to do that. So I can say this. I will not say that everybody who doesn't go to church is not a Christian. But I will say this. If you don't go to church, you are in terrible trouble terrible spiritual trouble. You are in peril. You are disobedient. You are rebellious against God. So if you have any friends that are Christians who are rebelling against God and who are disobedient and who are not functioning the way God intends them to function, you should care enough to get involved in their life. I drove to another state to talk to that friend of mine who had quit going to church because I cared about him. And I had no control, and he did not immediately listen to a thing I said. So I drove out there, we hung out, we talked, I went back home, and nothing changed for a while. But you wanna know something? It's not my job to make him change. It's just my job to do what God tells me to do. And so, um, if you know somebody who claims to be a Christian and functioning in a church family is not a priority, you better start praying for them. And you should start praying about how can I get involved and help this disastrous situation. Nobody is healthy. Nobody is okay if they don't go to church. Now, one of the things I like about this passage is it says if the hand... Or if the foot says to the hand, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, it doesn't change the fact that he's a part of the body. So this is a terrible story. I'm going to tell you anyway, but um, we used this in our family, and it didn't work very well either. But um, when we're heading into our neighborhood one year, 
Um, we, as we're pulling in, there's a motorcycle laying right in the street entering our neighborhood. And there's a guy laying there. And there's a car that has hit this motorcycle. And we pulled over on the side to see what was going on. And, and this guy ends up getting hit. He was okay in a sense. The, the, the ambulance had come. They were packing him up. And Michelle and I, being the kind of parents we were as a family, we prayed. And then we talked about how dangerous it was to drive motorcycles. And then one of my kids bought a motorcycle. So that didn't work. But one of the things that, <laughs> one of the things that happened in this accident is that the car hit this guy at the ankle and cut his foot off. And they couldn't find it. So one of the things that was going on was this urgent search for this guy's foot. Is it in the bumper? Like, it, like, is it underneath a motorcycle? Where is this? We need to find this foot. And you know what they do? Do you know what they do to people when you lose an appendage? You know, you're out with a chainsaw somewhere. You cut your hand off, cut your foot off, cut off a part of your body. You know what people do? Yeah, so you put a tourniquet to stop the blood. What else do you do? Okay, you grab an ice chest. You throw a bunch of ice in there. You take that body part, you throw it in that ice chest, and as fast as possible, you get this person to the hospital with their body part. Do you know there's people whose hands and feet get cut off, and you take it to the hospital, and they can put it back on, depending on how it happened? Um, can I just tell you, for a person to go, oh, yeah, the guy's foot's lost, no big deal, that, that foot's going to be fine. Is that foot a part of his body still? I mean, yeah. But that foot's in trouble if it doesn't get connected to the body. So when a person's like, oh, yeah, I don't go to church, but, but I'm good. No, you're not. A person in your life that you care about, oh, man, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. They're not okay. And we should have the same sense of urgency that we would have for a body part that was severed from a person. And, you know, every body part is unique and wonderful. You know, your foot has 25% of the bones of your entire body. It has 26 bones. Your hand has the most bones in your body. It has 27. And God has designed every single part to function perfectly. When was the last time you were going somewhere with somebody, in your, somebody you were romantically involved with? and said, ah, take, take off your shoe. Can I hold your foot? <laughs> like nobody does that, right? But hands are way more cool. <laughs> so we hold hands. Um, when was the last time that you were talking to some guy about his girlfriend or some girl about her boyfriend and they said, oh my goodness, I just, I took one look at their ear it's just so beautiful. It's just such a wonderful piece of the body. I just love gazing into the ear. Like, that doesn't happen, right? <laughs> but have you ever sat, heard somebody say, they have the most beautiful eyes? Yeah. Just love looking at their eyes. You know, that's what Paul's talking about here. There's differences. Some parts of the body are more presentable to others. But I'll just tell you this. I don't want to be deaf. I don't want to go through life not hearing. Um, I don't want to go through life not seeing. 
Um, there was this lady that I knew that um, she didn't actually have arms or hands. And it was just the most amazing thing to see how she had learned to function. She'd go to the grocery store. This is before they had electronic stuff, when you had to write checks. You want to know what she would do? With her foot, she would reach into her purse, grab a pen, and she would throw one of her, her feet up onto the counter, and with her toes, she would write out a check and sign it. Like amazing, like you just look at that and you think to yourself, how could that happen? Did you know that there are a lot of feet in the church practicing and training and trying to do things that the hands of the church are supposed to do because the hands aren't there doing it? I've seen artists, no arms, stick a, a paintbrush in their mouth and paint a beautiful picture. But God's intention is not that that's how things work. God's intention is that there be a healthy, functioning hand that can write and sign a check and paint a beautiful picture. And it's not that the church doesn't get by. I mean, that lady, she got by signing checks with her foot. It's amazing that I used to think my, I could not do that with my feet. But you want to know something? Um, you can get by. But you are needed. Um, I was looking, I was in the grocery store the other day buying meat, and I saw some pig hearts. There's never a time I've looked at a pig heart and thought, oh my goodness, that is so beautiful. <laughs> but, you know, we all have hearts, and we need our hearts. And we need them to do the things they're supposed to do. We don't look at each other's hearts. But every time you see a person, they're functioning because of what their heart does. You are a unique part of the body of Christ, and this church will never be what it is supposed to be if you are not rightly functioning. Um, you know, often we don't function correctly because of jealousy, bitterness. You know, we can just go, it's not fair. That person has such a great voice. They can sing. I can't sing. Or we say, you know, I, I want to be this position in the church, and I pick somebody else. And so sometimes it's because we have a low view of ourselves. We don't understand how godly we are, how, how, how powerful we are, how uniquely God has made us. And so sometimes we have a low view, and sometimes we're so focused on what God has blessed somebody else to do that we, we don't think about what God is calling us to do. So when you show up, don't compare your gift with someone else. <laughs> I was talking to Michelle I was kind of discouraged about some things I saw in my life. You know, I'm thinking, I'm a, you know, at the time I was probably like a 47-year-old man. I know you're surprised I'm that old. I'm older than that. But I was like 47, and I was just thinking, you know, by the time I'm 47, I should be better in the Christian life in these areas. And then I said, I'll bet so-and-so doesn't struggle with this. And I listed off somebody that I knew that I really respected. And Michelle looks at me and she goes, you have no idea what that guy struggles with. You don't live in his house. You, you see him on TV, you listen to him on the radio, and you read his books. You don't know who that is or what he's like, what he struggles with. You know, we don't compare ourselves with other people. We don't wish we were another people. Our prominence, how famous we are, how upfront we are, that has nothing to do with us. That is God's choice about what he, who he's going to put where. It's our job 
to be faithful. God, what opportunities have you given me? What are my abilities? How can I be faithful with what you have given me? You know, the Bible tells us this, um, Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. <laughs> you know, uh, I used to tell John this. He came into the ministry, and, and right after he got here and transitioned in, there was like one kid in youth group. So nice to see the picture of all the kids in youth group. There was one kid after John transitioned in. And I used to just tell John, you know, um, pray, reach out, go get involved in high school campuses, try to make connections. But you want to know what your job is? Your job is to be thankful for and to be faithful for the one person God gave you. And if you can't be faithful with that person, why would God give you anyone else? So you value and appreciate and with reverence consider the opportunity that God has given you to shepherd that one person. And you have so many people that they're like, oh man, so-and-so's church is like 9,000 people. Why can't I have that? Or somebody hears that some church is growing somewhere and they're upset because they feel like their church isn't growing. It's our job to be faithful with what God put in front of us, not wish we were someone else, not want to be someone else, but to be faithful with who God made us and where God put us. You know, pride leads to, comparing yourself to other people leads to discouragement or pride. Neither of those are good. So here's a third thing. When you think rightly about other people, Um, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our unprecedented, unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor. Uh, honor to the part that lacked it. When you understand how God views other people and how he made them and how he placed them, you will understand how important they are. Do you know what a disaster it is when a person shows up and doesn't feel valued and doesn't feel like they have something to offer? Do you know who suffers? You. Which is why when we show up on church on Sunday... It's why when you go to a Bible study, it's why in every conversation you have with every single Christian in the church, you focus on what they're doing well, you encourage them, you bless them, you help them see the value of what they're contributing so that they'll keep contributing. You make sure that people don't think wrongly about themselves. But often in the church, there's so much criticism, there's so much judgment. That's not how I would have done that. Uh, this other person's gift functions like this, and I wish your gift was more like that. And, and kind of the way you use your gift, man, I'm just not that excited about it. Instead of saying, God, put that person in my life because I need them. I might not realize I need them, but I need them. That's why they're here. God's sovereign. And so it's a rejection of God when you fail to appreciate the gifts that God has put around you. And it is destructive to you when you discourage a person that God has given to you as a gift. That's why in the church, 
We encourage each other all the more as we see the day drawing near. Because if you discourage someone and they quit functioning, you just hurt yourself. By the way, you hurt them too. And uh, in viewing yourself correctly, when somebody doesn't appreciate you and somebody's discouraging you, we live to please God, not people. So you don't stop being the person God made you to be because it's not appreciated. Paul wasn't appreciated. Uh, the prophets weren't appreciated. Uh, Israel decided they wanted to kill Moses. He wasn't appreciated. But we live to please the Lord, not the people around us. And also, none of us uses our gifts perfectly, right? We all have sin in our life. And so this is what I would say about giving other people feedback. Don't ever give somebody feedback about their gift, about who God made them, about what their personality is like. Never criticize somebody about that. But always speak up in the lives of the people that you love who are sinning. When a person functions in the fruit of the Spirit, keep your mouth shut. When a person is functioning in the deeds of the flesh, pray for them and then talk to them. But we're not here to judge people's gifts. We are here to encourage people to honor and obey God in how they live. I'll never forget somebody said to this singer, um, their voice just really irritates me. I'm just thinking, what kind of person would say that to someone? If a person went and said, you know, your harsh, unkind speech hurts me. Oh, okay. Yes. Needed conversation. Just the, the tone of your voice, it just kind of irritates me. Not the kind of thing that should ever be said. And so when we think about what God says about the body of Christ, and when we put these things into practice, this church will be an amazing place, the body of Christ. And we're going to celebrate right now the Lord's Supper. And what I want to just encourage us all is you are who you are because of the provision that Jesus made for your salvation. The fact that Jesus died on the cross and when he died on the cross, God took your sin and placed it upon him. And Jesus rose from the dead, and he's coming back. What an amazing thing that we are who we are because God has made a way for us to be saved. And even the things we can do, we can only do any of it because God gave it us the ability. So I want to read this passage in 1 Corinthians as we talk about the Lord's Supper. When I close and, and the music plays, there's four tables. Just go to those tables, take a piece of bread, take a cup, eat and drink, remembering the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus, and then you can sit down, or you could actually sit down and then take those elements. Let me read this. For I received from the Lord... That which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And we remember that we do this with reverence. We think about our own sin. We confess our sin. We commit to honor the Lord in our life. We don't take this time irreverently. Uh, We don't just with a commitment to personal sin and no repentance. Like if you're committed to sin in your life, don't take the Lord's Supper because Paul goes on to say, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and then so eat of the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who drinks, drinks and eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God, that you save us though we don't deserve it. Lord, that you supernaturally give us the power to serve you though we don't deserve that. And Lord, we pray that you would just help us to remember our standing before you is based on your work. And God, I pray that we would wholeheartedly live out the Christian life in the body of Christ. In your name, amen.